This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Today we're going to the book of Acts, and that is not spelled A-X or A-X-E, rather it's spelled A-C-T-S. Now just in a quick overview, our lesson talks about a controversy that was brewing in the early church. The modern day church, they're not the only ones that have controversy, but there was a controversy over something that we would consider to be goofy. It was over the matter of circumcision. And I actually wanted to title our lesson to circumcise or not to circumcise, but when I told my wife that, she basically indicated that she would leave the church and even leave me. Not really, but so I changed the title just a little bit. But from this lesson in Acts chapter 15, We want to look at a heated controversy that when you get to the root of the controversy, it wasn't just over the matter of circumcision, rather it was a debate of traditions versus the gospel. And and the question that I just kind of want to lob out there for our consideration today is, are we putting more of our energy into guarding our traditions rather than the gospel? Now, our lesson picks up with the early church that is still a very young church. It's, it's roughly 15 to 20 years old. And so there are no believers that are able to say, well, I've been serving Jesus for 50 years now. No, everyone is 15 to 20 years at most in the faith. And, and probably in this particular church in our lesson, they were maybe two to three years old in the faith. They were babies in the faith. But God was blessing the church. The Apostle Paul has taken the message of Jesus outside of Jerusalem, has planted churches throughout Turkey, throughout Greece, all along the Mediterranean rim. Both Jews and non-Jews, or we call them Gentiles, were embracing Christ. But, But as we pick up today's lesson, we will see in that major growth spurt, a major controversy developed, which, by the way, is the strategy of Satan. I found that when God really begins to bless this church, I need to be careful. You need to be careful. We need to be watchful because Satan gets mad. What is a van? You call him the booger man. And and he comes after us, begins to work overtime to come up with something to distract us. And, And again, the controversy in our lesson stemmed over the tradition of circumcision. Now, for those of you that are saying, oh, wait, wait a minute, Joe, I brought my kids to church and you're going to talk about circumcision, know that this lesson will be kid-friendly. Uh, your kids are safe. I was talking with Pastor Ken, you know, just about the, the topic. He said, oh, I've never done that. I wouldn't do that. And I said, well, most people that are smart don't do that. But, but anyway, here we are today. And I, I felt that we should spend some time studying this account to let you know that most church controversies stem are you ready? From the silliness of traditions. In fact, if you would do research into church controversies down through the years, you would find that most of them were over silly things. Maybe, maybe not circumcision, but things that are just as silly. Uh, Tom uh, Rayner is, is a church consultant, and I read his blogs, I read his leadership articles, and he's got just amazing insight that, that is excellent. But But over his years, he has documented some of the sillier conflicts in a church. 
Here are a few that he's documented. And remember, these conflicts took place in churches just like ours. Uh, A church several years ago had a major controversy over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. And I personally hope he had on more than just shoes, but... Anyway, that was, that was a controversy. Uh, there was also a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. I'm dying to know what they decided on that one. Um, th- there was a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. That brought about division. Um, th- there was a church argument and an actual vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. It was probably a timely argument. Um, boo, I heard that. <laughs> but there was a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. And my, my question was, who took the picture? Um, there was a petition to have all church staff clean shaven. I, I assume that includes the women as well. Um, th- there was a big argument over the discovery that the church budget was 10 cents, a dime off, and someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. When I thought about that one, I did have to admit that this issue was 10 times bigger than the church that was missing a penny. Um, There was a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Of course it should be grape juice. I mean, we read that in Hezekiah chapter 4 verse 11 or whatever. There was an argument in a business meeting about whether or not the church should purchase a weed eater. This was a business meeting. And, and evidently, and, and, and again, this, uh, this is what Tom Rayner documented. It took two business meetings to resolve this one. There was an argument over what type of green beans the church should serve. I, I could have resolved this conflict, conflict quickly. None. Um, Two different churches reported fights over the preferred type of coffee. One of the churches almost split because they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks blend. You know, perhaps they should have just started a new church and called it the Right Blend Fellowship. Um, there was an argument on, on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at a church dinner. Seriously. And, and, you know, I think it probably should be allowed if it's balanced with angel food cake. Um, <laughs> there was an argument over who had the authority to buy postage stamps for the church. I heard that the members were licking their wounds over this issue. Um, there, there was a disagreement over using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. You know, because <clears throat> the concept of luck contradicts the theology of a sovereign God. And So my response is, good luck trying to resolve that one. (laughs) One more. There was an argument over whether or not to have gluten-free communion bread. And I I don't know about that one. I just thought that gluttony was a sin. But anyway, these, uh, I'm sorry, that was really bad. Those were really bad. But uh, those were actual church controversies. They're silly. They're absurd. But real. Anyway, back to the early church, before Starbucks and before weed eaters, weed whackers, before cran grape juice, before gluten-free communion bread, before deviled eggs, and pictures of Jesus, here was the controversy. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. 
Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. And remember when it says brothers, these are Christians that had been serving Jesus probably five years or less. But these visitors from Judea were teaching, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, when the Apostle Paul had planted this church, he had taught them the gospel. He had taught them that Jesus died for them. They could have peace with God through the forgiveness of their sins. In fact, his big point of emphasis was was salvation by grace through faith. Well, as was the practice of the Apostle Paul, he would plant a church, get it established, raise up local leaders, leave, go plant another church in another region. Well, after Paul left the area, some men came along and they began teaching something that Paul hadn't taught. And they said, unless you new Gentile brothers in Christ have a surgery to be circumcised. And by the way, from now on to reduce the awkwardness, I will just refer to circumcision as having the surgery. Is that okay? Anyway, these Jewish men said, hey, unless you have the surgery, you can't go to heaven. Now, I can just imagine these new Christian men saying, wait a minute, you know, the Apostle Paul was our founding father. He planted this church. He instructed us in the faith, and he didn't tell us about the surgery. Well, these men that were coming from Judea, they said, well, sorry, but Paul didn't give you the truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. You got to have the surgery. You, you can't join, you can't join the Jesus Club Until you join the Moses Club. Because this was in the law of Moses. So so they said, if if you men are going to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to have the surgery. End of discussion. Can you imagine the conversations on the way home from church that day? Maybe the guys said to their wives, you know, I want to serve Jesus, but that kind of surgery is asking a lot, especially at my age. Well, in this discussion, in in verse 2, it says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, those visitors from Judea. Because again, when when Paul planted the church, he preached the gospel. You know, Christ died, was buried, raised on the third day. You can experience forgiveness of your sins through his blood. But, But here, these visitors from Judea were saying, shame on Paul for preaching an incomplete gospel. So, Here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Well, in verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So, So Paul shows up in Jerusalem and says, hey, before we discuss this controversy, before we get into our official business meeting, let me give you a report. Just so you know what I've been doing the last few years, I've been traveling around the the Mediterranean Rim, and I've been to Turkey and and Greece planting new churches, and it's amazing what God is doing. The the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people have been receptive to the gospel of Jesus, and and they're turning away from their sins. They're turning away from their idol worship. Even though they have no background in Christianity, they are wholeheartedly, and they want to follow Jesus. But then maybe Paul hesitates and kind of looks around the room and, and says, but, but I'll be honest with you, <laughs> I haven't been focusing on the law of Moses. 
I haven't been telling them about our traditions as Jewish people. I've just been preaching Jesus. But Paul goes on, it's been brought to my attention that after I leave the churches that have been established, some men are are coming from our own Judea. And they're trying to impose a bunch of our Jewish traditions on them. And this has caused quite a stir, a controversy. I've tried to preach Jesus to them, but these men are basically preaching Moses, Moses' law. Now, who were these men that were saying that they needed to have the surgery? Well, this is fascinating to me because we read this in verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said. So, remember the Pharisees? They were the rascals, church rascals. Well, well, some of these Pharisees had decided to follow Jesus, and which was good, and, and they realized that Jesus was the Messiah. And, but the problem was that even though they had decided to follow Jesus, they had had the traditions of Moses so ingrained in them that they were confusing traditions with the gospel. And so they were saying, The Gentiles, these Pharisees were saying, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, when we think of the law, what what do we immediately think of? Well, the Ten Commandments. And of course, we like most of them. Not all of them, but we like most of them. We don't obey them, but we like them. We especially want our kids to obey the Ten Commandments. Amen? But when this scripture referred to the law of Moses, it was not just referring to the Ten Commandments because it was referring to the rest of of the law. And I've told you that there were over 600 of these laws and traditions, 613 to be exact. And so these Pharisees that that had turned to Christ, and I don't think they were trying to be mean or or cause problems. They, They truly believed. Here's what they believed. They believed they were upholding the standards of God. And they honestly couldn't see how anybody could be saved without following these traditions. And these traditions involved a lot of things. I mean, 613 laws, dietary laws, Sabbath rules, dress codes, you know, having tassels on their robes. But the one that kind of trumped all of them and brought on this controversy was the one where the men needed to have the surgery. And they truly couldn't understand how men could be saved without the surgery. Now, for those of us here today as as Gentiles, we think that's absurd, and it is. But if you've been in the church for a few years, and most of you have, this kind of obsessing over traditions creeps into our thinking without our realizing it. And all it takes is For us to go to another church or maybe to go to a a conference and and we see someone that doesn't quite fit into our mold of a Christian and the way they look just rubs us the wrong way. Or maybe we see them praising the Lord differently than what we're used to. You know, I've told you this and, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but you're my friends, at least I hope you are. But I was raised in the tradition, can I, can I just open my heart to you? I was raised in the tradition, we believed in raising our hands in worship. But this is the way we were to do it, like this. And then at the end, you kind of just do your hand like that. That's the way I was raised. I'm just opening my heart to you. 
Now, when I went to another church and I saw them raising their hands like this, I thought, that is heresy. That is so wrong. How can they get to heaven praising the Lord like this? You've got to do it like this. And, and so, all it takes is for us to begin to, for us to go to another church or a conference and, and um, they don't fit our mold. And I think we've all been in those situations where we felt something rising up within us and, you know, how can they be saved? They look like that. Christians shouldn't look like that. Or they don't baptize the right way. For crying out loud, they, they, they sprinkle the poor instead of immerse like we do. They're not even raising their hands in worship the right way. And if we're not careful, we can, listen, we can begin to elevate our traditions above the gospel. We focus on this or this. And we begin to put more energy and more emotion into promoting our traditions rather than promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to understand what the gospel is. The gospel is about two things. The gospel is about grace, which we really like, but the gospel is about truth, which we don't always like. And too often, we seem to think that the truth of God's word is in conflict with the grace of God's word. But here's the most amazing thing. When Jesus interacted with sinners, he was grace and truth completely embodied in one person. He wasn't the balance of grace and truth. That's, that's the goal of most churches. You know, we want to be balanced. We want a little bit of grace, a little bit of truth. But, but Jesus was 100% grace. He was 100% truth. And there was no conflict. There was no conflict. And when the local church gets this matter right, it's not a balancing act. Truth isn't dumbed down, but neither is grace dumbed down. And truth should cause us to adhere to high standards and, and embrace moral imperatives and, and give up sinful lifestyles. You, you, don't, you don't have to compromise principles of holiness and, and principles of marriage and principles of righteous living. I know today, today there's a move for churches to be relevant to our society, and I, I believe in that. We, we don't have to use methods of 100 years ago or 20 years ago or even one year ago. You know, times change, methods change, hairstyles change, dress preferences change. As, as long as dress is modest, I don't believe it's more holy to dress as we did 100 years ago. And I'm sorry if that offends you. Modesty, simplicity, not style are the directives in the Bible. But in our effort to be relevant... We don't have to compromise biblical standards. We don't have to water down holiness. We don't have to change truth. Jesus was 100% grace. He loved unconditionally, but he was also 100% truth. He followed the will of his Father, and there was no compromise nor conflict. That's the gospel. Well, back to our lesson, the church had barely even gotten the wrapping paper off of it. They were still a first-generation church. They had already lost sight of the gospel. And the matter of guarding traditions was threatening to split the church. What happened? Well, in verse 7, after much discussion, so this was a long business meeting. I think we've all been part of those business meetings that went a long time. After much 
discussion, Peter, who was one of the authority figures in the room, got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips. So Peter was saying, you know, Paul, he was called to the Gentiles, but I was also... So, uh, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Now, if you've been a Christian for, more, for several years, and most of us have, in this service here, most of us have been serving the Lord for quite a few years, but the longer we serve the Lord, the longer we go to church, we become more traditions-oriented. That's what naturally happens to people. The, the, the longer we're in church, that's our default. We, we, we move towards guarding traditions. It just happens. But this next phrase is one that you need to really remember in verse 8. God who knows the heart. Peter was saying, we don't know your heart. God knows your heart. We just know your behavior. You know, we don't know your heart, we just know how you dress. We don't know your heart, we just know how you've marked up and pierced your body. We don't know your heart, we just know the kind of music you listen to. We don't know your heart, we just know that you don't keep your yard mowed. And there's a refrigerator on your front porch. We don't know your heart, but we do know that your car is always a mess, both on the inside and the outside. And I'm not reflecting negatively on you if you fit those categories. But what I'm trying to say is that many Christians judge people by those very things. They see dirty cars, messed up yards, messed up houses. They see dirty fingernails, people who have lost their teeth. And without even knowing their hearts, we judge them. And Peter is saying, we just know behavior, actions, and appearances. But God knows our hearts. Aren't you glad? And he goes on and says, knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. So even though these new Gentile Christians probably didn't even know there were Ten Commandments and much less 613 other uh, commandments, they didn't know the Jewish traditions, yet God still accepted them by giving, this doesn't sound right, by giving the Holy Spirit to them as he did to us. Just in a moment of transparency, I have to admit that this was so convicting to me this week. Oh, how many times have I judged someone by looking at the exterior? How many times have I judged someone by looking at their car or their hair or their clothes or their yard or their teeth? Well, as Peter spoke, the church leaders in that meeting began to get it. Peter continued on in verse 9. He, meaning God, made no distinction between us, who's us, the Jewish people that followed the Jewish traditions, had surgery, and them, being the Gentiles that didn't have a clue about the traditions that the Jews were trying to follow, made no, no distinction between us for he purified, and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, to which some of the Jewish sticklers in that meeting might have said, okay, okay. He might have purified their hearts, but they've got some nasty Gentile habits. He might have purified their hearts, but they don't eat right. He might have purified their hearts, but they don't have tassels on their robes. 
He might have purified their hearts, but the men don't have the curls coming down from their sideburns, as was typical for some people in that day. And the biggie, he might have purified their hearts, but they haven't had the surgery. Well, Peter basically says, true. But what are we trying to promote? Are we trying to promote traditions or the gospel? And, and so he asked them a powerful question. <laughs> In verse 10, he says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of disciples, meaning, the, meaning these new Gentile followers of Jesus that were probably two to three years old in the faith, a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? I went over this several times in my office. I had to chuckle. I hope nobody was watching me, but I had to chuckle in my office as I, as I thought about Peter's strategy here. Now, let me try to explain this statement with, uh, with a modern-day setting. Peter basically looks at those around in the meeting, and uh, maybe he sees someone named Sam, and he says, hey, Brother Sam, I see you back there. Good to see you, Sam. Sam, you've always been a good Jewish boy. You've always followed our traditions. And Sam is smiling and flattered and says, thank you. I try really hard. But I got a question for you, Sam. Do you ever break the law and mess up? And maybe Sam puts on this shocked look. Peter says, Sam, cut it out. I know you've broken the law. I saw you at the temple the other day making a sin offering. I know you sinned. And Sam's face turns red. And so Peter says, case and point. My brothers, we're Jewish. We grew up that way. We have the background. We know the Ten Commandments. We know the 613 additional commandments. Plus, we've had the surgery. But despite having the surgery, we still struggle to keep the laws perfectly, don't we? So, so Peter says, why in the world would we expect Gentiles who didn't grow up with all of these laws and traditions, why would we require of them the same traditions and rules that have burdened us and burdened our fathers for years, things that we can't even keep ourselves? These things are not the gospel. We're Jewish, and these things are just our traditions, and, and they're okay for us. But these things don't save us. Because in verse 11 he said, no, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. You know, the way we're saved and the way they're saved is the same way. It's through the gospel, by grace through faith, forgiveness of sins, forsaking our sins. Well, skipping a few verses down after Peter finishes his talk, James, another leader in the meeting, by the way, the brother of Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up, and in verse 19, he said, it's my judgment. So in other words, he says, I've been listening, I've heard the discussion, here's my two cents worth. Therefore, it's my judgment, therefore, that we, and I love this, should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He was saying, I know we have a moral standard to uphold. I know God is a God of absolutes. God is a God of holiness. And, and we must not compromise on issues of sin and truth and righteousness. 
But when it comes to our particular Jewish traditions that have nothing to do with heart purity, I think we need to show a little bit of grace. Let's make, not make it difficult for others who want to become part of the family of Jesus. And then maybe James added, I know it can sometimes get messy when you deal with people who are not raised in our tradition. We know all about that. You know, it can get messy trying to figure out complex marriage situations of divorce and remarriage and child custody. And then society has created a mess with gender identity. And it can get messy with the different views on that. And it can get messy with the wide spectrum of of opinions on politics. You know, conservative versus liberal and right versus left and CNN versus Fox. All of those things can get messy. But James was saying, as the good news of Jesus leaves our little country of Israel and begins to circle the globe, we should not impose our customs and traditions and make it difficult for people of other cultures and colors and races who are wanting to turn to Jesus Christ. This is not about converting people to our traditions. This is about converting people to Jesus. And I would reiterate that for us as a church, our mission is not to convert people to our particular church traditions. Our mission is not to convert people to our church. That's not our goal. Our goal is to see people converted to Jesus. And we're not going to water down and compromise truth. We need to teach the gospel. But we should not make it difficult for people of other colors or races or, or, or pardon me, even political persuasions who are wanting to turn to God by all of a sudden overwhelming them with many and and most of them are good traditions that we follow. We've picked up over the years, but we should not overwhelm them with our particular traditions. Now, these people in time may choose to follow some of these uh, traditions because, you know, they will help them, maybe help keep them steady in the faith, but But I believe the Holy Spirit can help them develop traditions and disciplines to do that. Well, James basically says, okay, we've discussed this long enough. And maybe he says, let's bring this matter to a resolution. So I make a motion. That was his suggestion. To write these new Gentile believers down in Antioch that are probably nervous right now, especially the guys. And in verse 20, he says, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain. Here was his first suggestion. Abstain from food polluted by idols. He was talking about food that had been sacrificed to pagan idols. And that, that food, that meat was sold in the marketplace. And it was cheaper meat. It was, it was good meat. But, but James was saying, you know, it just doesn't look very good for Christians to be going to the pagan section of the market to buy this food that had been sacrificed to idols. So that was suggestion number one. Here's suggestion number two. Abstain from sexual immorality. Immorality was rampant back then as well. He says, that's a non-negotiable. They've got to do that. Suggestion number three, and this was really in the same category as suggestion number one, which shows how big of a deal this was to the Jews, but abstain from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Basically, lump it into number one. That, that's it. Three things. Now, now, reading between the lines, maybe the secretary that's taken minutes for the meeting says, okay, I got down number one, number two, number three. What's next? I'm ready. And James says, no, that's it. And maybe the scribe or the secretary says, wait a minute. So you've just taken the Ten Commandments and you've taken 613 other laws and traditions 
and you set them aside, and we're only going to tell them three things? And James says, right now, I think that's enough. Because Paul has already taught the basics of the gospel. You know, Paul has taught that salvation is by grace through faith, forgiveness of sin, setting the sin aside. And so James said, I, I don't think it's necessary for us to overwhelm them, with, overwhelm them with all of our Jewish traditions that we were raised with. And, and maybe the scribe or the secretary speaks up again and says, okay, all that's fine. But what about the surgery? You know, we can maybe let them slide by on having tassels on their robes and maybe not require them to have curls coming out from their sideburns, but they need to have the surgery. James maybe responds back and says, I don't believe God wants us to burden them with all of that right now. Well, the leaders decided that was a good plan, and they drafted a letter from this group that would be known as the Jerusalem Council. You can look it up in history. And the Jerusalem Council commissioned people to deliver this letter to the church in Antioch, as well as probably other churches. And and I was thinking about this, kind of chuckling, but can you imagine how apprehensive the men in the churches had to be? They were probably wondering, okay, surgery or no surgery? Surgery or no surgery? And, and in verse 31, the people read it, and they were glad for its encouraging message. Of course the men were especially glad. And so this church controversy was diffused. Leaders who were godly and wise and spirit-led said, we refuse to elevate our particular traditions to the same level as the gospel. We will allow freedom in some areas of preferences and tradition, but when it comes to areas of salvation and truth and righteousness, those things are non-negotiable. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ, and we can't compromise in areas of morality and sin, but let's not make it hard on new believers by imposing a bunch of traditions on them right at the very beginning. So as we wrap things up, let me leave you with a couple of statements because every church, including ours, we, we struggle with this. And every other church in town struggles with this. Number one, we must avoid the tendency to value traditions over people. You know, the default nature of every local church is to move towards a lot of traditions, and most of them are good traditions. They help us in our faith. But too many times we become more concerned about traditions than people. Jesus was so far from that. One day he was walking along and he saw Matthew, a despised tax collector. You remember him. and Which in their traditions, they would say, stay away from him. He is no good. He's rotten to the core. He will cheat you. But Jesus said, hey, hey Matthew... I'd like for my disciples and I to go spend some time with you at your house. And the disciples were thinking, wait a minute. Tradition says we should not associate with people like that. Jesus says, sorry, but that's what we're going to do. And furthermore, after we go to Matthew's house, we're going to call Zacchaeus, another hated tax collector, out of that sycamore tree, and we're going to go to his house. And then we're going to meet a low-life woman caught in adultery. Tradition says we shouldn't talk with her. We're going to talk with her. Tradition says she should be stoned. But I'm going to intervene and just tell the woman, you committed adultery. I'm not going to condemn you, but I am going to ask you not to do it anymore. You need to break free from that lifestyle. 
You know, following traditions is this. It's, it's check the box. Make sure you do it our way. Make sure you're baptized like we do. Take communion like we do. Read the translation of the Bible like we do. Read, uh, you know, sing the music we sing. Do it our way. And if you do it our way, you might be able to be saved if you're lucky and make it to heaven. But the gospel is so different. It's not do it our way. It's do it Jesus' way. 100% grace 100% truth, that's the Jesus way. And the second tendency we have to avoid, and I need your help, the tendency to preserve traditions over the gospel. And this is so subtle. You know, for those of you that are in business, you remember when you started your business, there was nothing to preserve because you had nothing. And then your company started to grow, and all of a sudden you began to protect everything. Remember? You had to get insurance and all that kind of stuff. Churches are the same way, especially organized churches like us. In the beginning, over 100 years ago, when this church was started, it had nothing. Nothing except for a vision. It had no buildings, no staff, just a vision. But now that we have a bunch of buildings, we have a bunch of people, we have staff, and a bunch of traditions, I always sometimes wonder, do we still have a vision? And our tendency is to do exactly what the Jews did, and that's to preserve our tradition. And you know, we call ourselves part of the holiness tradition, and I'm part of that, and I stand for that. We should stand for holiness and righteousness, but sometimes in our effort to preserve something that's good, we get away from the true gospel. When Jesus came along, he said, we're going to advance the gospel, even if it gets messy. We're going to take some risks. We're going to discontinue some old traditions. We're going to love people that are hard to love. But we will not allow our desire to preserve traditions to override our mission to advance the cause of Jesus. So I need your help. I need your help. I need your help to make sure that even though we will continue to respect our traditions as a local church, yet I want us to make sure that we're promoting the gospel. I also need your help to make sure that we embody truth and grace. We, we don't want to compromise truth. We, we want to promote a lifestyle of biblical holiness. We, we want to promote the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life. We don't want to compromise anything that is clear-cut in the Bible. We want to be 100% committed to that. But on the other hand, we want to be 100% committed to grace because aren't you glad that God didn't say, oh, by the way, here are 613 boxes you've got to check first. And if you can check all of those, then you might be able to be saved. Aren't you glad that God saw the desire of your heart long before you broke that habit? <laughs> aren't you glad that God listened to you weep one night, you cried yourself to sleep, and he saw those pills. He saw that powder in your possession. He saw that hard alcohol in the refrigerator or that dirty website in your browsing history. But he saw that you were sick of all of that. And you cried out to him and he accepted you and purified you and gave you power to break free from those sins. Remember that? Let's make sure that as we promote the gospel, we embody grace and truth.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.